I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there. Welcome along to another bite sized episode of the High Performance Podcast. We were joined a few weeks ago by. Lindsay Burrow, the wife of Rob Burrow, the former rugby league player who's suffering with motor neuron disease. And we donated the profits from that podcast to the charity that the two of them are supporting to stop other families going through the same crisis that they are. And we would like to donate the profits from today's episode of High Performance to charity as well, because we're about to be joined by Lucy Easthope, who is a world leading expert in disasters. And as you would have seen in the last few days, There's been earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, which has left thousands of people killed, trapped and injured. And with every hour that passes, the numbers rise. We know that as I record this for you, rescuers are racing to save lives and we want to support them in their efforts. Um, Therefore, the profits from today's podcast will be donated to the Red Cross. And we've also put a link in the description to this episode so that if you would like to donate, then you can as well. And of course, we send our love and thoughts to everyone affected by these earthquakes right around the world. But I think it's a really salient time to share with you once again the work that Lucy's done, um, the things that she's learned in her career as a disasters expert. And I think from the things that you hear in the next few minutes, one thing that you won't forget is how she still manages to find optimism in the darkest of times. Um, It was an incredible conversation we had with Lucy. Of course, you can also listen to the full episode with her. But right now, let's hear the thoughts of the world-leading disasters expert, Lucy Easthope, who joined us recently on the High Performance Podcast. Sometimes it's doing the very best that you can do for people at the very worst time of their lives. So it's very hidden. It's very hard to audit. It's very hard to go back to ask people, did I perform well for you at the worst time of your lives? So the way that we measure that sometimes is very, very difficult. There's a lot of skills and emotions that perhaps aren't classic in the definitions of performance. So it's things like integrity and compassion and knowing that um, when you have responded to a disaster, you've taken everything from any other previous, previous event you've worked on and applied it to the, to the next one. And that's something we do constantly and just 
giving as much as you can. But also, I think as part of that, there is a huge part of that that's also looking after yourselves. You have to be very aware of what you are giving in this situation. And what are you giving? So the, the very first thing I think about in a disaster response is what do the people who never asked to be there need? So the first place that I'm going to is I'm caring for the deceased, the bereaved and the survivors. Now, I think one of the things that people haven't realized about disaster management is we train constantly. Um, we, we, we test, we write scenarios, we plan, we set up pretend exercises. But the one group of people who aren't there are the bereaved people, the people in the public, the people in the shopping center, the people in the cinema complex who weren't expecting this. So one of my roles is to always advocate for them both when we do it in pretend, but also when we do it for real, because they don't necessarily know what they want. They're just waiting for some news that they're hoping they never get. So my role is to say, hang on, do you remember when in the 1980s, for example, you'd gather families together waiting for news of an incident and you wouldn't give them any tea or coffee? There would be no drinks available. And so sometimes, you know, what, what I consider the highest of performances can look really mundane. It's has everybody got warm clothes, a cup of tea, somewhere safe. They're away from perhaps a news drone. And so it can look really operational and mundane. And that's my first job before I get to thinking about the longer term. When a disaster happens, one of your biggest enemies is the startle factor. Like, you know, the, the alarm goes off, like, what do I do? And everybody feels that right up to the highest commanders of any organization. And a plan, I write it in big font bullet points. It's not like a briefing report. It's really clear. And you give that to the commander and it reminds them of some really basic, simple things that they need to do. What sort of stuff's um, in there? And that's things like straight away securing the scene, checking where the people who need you most have gone. Often people fight and flight, so they leave the scene. Most disasters, right up until the current events we're seeing, Manchester, Grenfell, people flee the scene and we lose track of whether they need any support from the agencies. That's when your adrenaline kicks in. So one of the things is, is, is have, you, have you offered somebody a place to go? Then I'm asking um, how many people are affected? Often we don't have what's called a manifest very, very quickly. So who's affected? Um, are there any things that make this particularly painful or difficult? Is this a chemical or nuclear incident? Is this something difficult and more challenging? Is this affecting children? Is this an arena where people went to have fun? They did not go for something like this to happen. Um, how are people getting home? How are people getting a message out to their loved ones? And we work from a plan. So I take that from each disaster to each exercise and then to the next disaster. And sometimes we forget stuff or we learn new stuff. So something new will take us by surprise, like the way, for example, over the last decade, people use smartphones is very different. People have finding apps on their phones, for example. So that changes the dynamic. Um, somebody's dad might have got in the car just by realizing that they're at the location because they've got find your friend on the phone. So how we respond changes, but there's always a key template of compassions, I think, that travels. In many ways, all of us now are survivors of a disaster because we've all lived through a global pandemic that none of us were expecting to varying degrees of impact on our lives. And I think we have a more pessimistic world now. I think people struggle to see the good stuff and the light because they've had to go through this. You've spent years peering into the darkest, hardest places, yet you still have the optimism for your life and for your children's lives and for the future of all of us. So can we talk about how we retain optimism 
even when it's difficult, because I kind of feel that you're the oracle on this, because <laughs> I know you might, you're very modest, so you might hate me saying that, but I kind of think if you can find optimism for your life, we can all find optimism, because you've seen the very worst of humanity and the very worst that this planet can serve up to us. Absolutely. And what I would say there is, you know, there probably isn't a great deal of difference in the number of disasters and tragedies and conflicts that we're seeing now than there have been for any of the generations before us. We consume them very differently. So one of the things you notice, for example, in in the disaster world is we don't often have the telly on. We do in the command centres. We'll have the television on. But sometimes we will consume media very differently. You'll find, for example, which I always find very lovely in the mortuary rest area for staff, they'll have jigsaws or colouring books or you know things things to do something different with we don't for example work on the deceased and then immediately put on a news piece about them so thinking about the way that you're consuming bad news I think is a really important part that I was taught 22 years ago and I'd, I'd love to pass that on I think the other thing is there's a real sense that when you see as you say the kind of worst of times you realize how fragile life is and how fragile we are and one of the things with with my work is it does bring me into contact with the deceased and you you don't die in a disaster without it being sudden and unexpected and traumatic so one of the things there that that gives you is a real sense of not in a hedonistic way you know still have a pension and an ISA but you know live for the day and one of the things I get very strict about is don't leave home on a row because I've seen an awful lot of that and I've seen an awful lot of pain that that causes in families you know each day that you have with with people is is a really precious one So that was just a small snippet of what Lucy shared with us. I promise you the full episode is well worth listening to. And just as a reminder, all the proceeds from this episode of the High Performance Podcast are going to be donated to the Red Cross so that they can continue their efforts to save as many lives as possible in Turkey and Syria, working with the survivors as well as the victims of the recent earthquakes. And just by listening to this podcast, you're helping to donate money to the appeal. But if you would like to give even more, we would love that. All you need to do is click on the link in the description to this podcast and you can donate directly to the Red Cross. Once again, all our thoughts are with those who've been affected by the recent disaster.